0: Heads up, everyone. Today's episode is going to be talking about things like anxiety and depression, which may affect you when listening. Viewer discretion is advised.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Craftcast, the Freemasons podcast. Gents, how are we?
0: Um, Well, Sean, funny you ask that, because that's exactly the point of our little session today, is having a chat. So we're going to be talking about men's mental health and asking that question, how are you? Because it's something that's so prominent today in, in media and everything. But I think as a, an organization full of men over the age of, of 18, that is uh, one of the most important things that we can do is send that message of mm. talk to each other. And so we, I would like to, to point out to our listeners that we haven't prepared what we're going to say here at all. Um, and this is probably the least preparation we've ever done for an episode very deliberately so that this is three guys in a room having a chat about mm. men's mental health and to at least try and show uh, what what we think is important in our fraternity as well as outside of it.
2: Yeah, Stephen, I totally agree that it's an important topic to talk about. We know that mental health affects different people in different ways and Freemasonry, the United Grand Lodge of England being a organisation comprised of men, we know that men's mental health is maybe something that's not spoken about as openly as you know we'd like it to be, and maybe it should be. And I'm sure we'll get into the reasons why sometimes men find it difficult to talk about their mental health. So um, yeah, looking forward to getting into it. I should just preface by saying we're not doctors, we're not trained medical professionals, we're just three guys sat around a table. We're just sharing our own experiences.
0: And so with that, uh, off we go. So uh, here we go with this now delicately poised question, Sean. How are you? I'm good.
1: I'm I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's as with everyone coming. You know, we've been through an incredibly stressful three years. Mm. You know, if you'd have told me in 2019 that just a few months later we would be in a pandemic and in a national lockdown where we wouldn't be able to see our friends or our families for months and we'd essentially not be allowed to leave our homes other than a couple of times a day to go to the grocery shopping or to have a walk around a park I probably would have thought you were uh, kidding me on but the fact that we lived through that I think actually this is just an assessment of mine I feel like some knock-on impacts of that are residual I don't feel like I felt it at the time when I was sat indoors watching press conferences and different slides being put up with different graphs and stats. But I remember, I remember it was about a year or two after and I'd had all of my vaccinations by that point and I was, I was feeling a little bit anxious. And I remember I, I got on the tube to come up to work here at Freemasons Hall and I felt really panicky. I felt really on edge, really anxious. And I put my mask on. And it was the first time that I'd done it for a long time. And I was the only person on the train that had my mask on. And that's what I'm talking about when I say residual anxiety as, as a result of, of that experience, because it was lived experience that made me want to put that mask on. Oh. It was a fear. It's almost like a
0: post-traumatic... like or, or, It's this tra- big traumatic event yeah. that happens to the entire world. Exactly. That we're still feeling the effects of, and I think that's probably not talked about No, very and, much.
1: And because everyone was in the same boat... To the extent that everyone was going through it, right? Everyone was yeah. in the same position. I feel like we have to be really careful that we don't generalize everyone's lived experience yeah. with that because it would have been different for everyone. Because it would have been different for everyone, and as any was, world event happens, it affects yeah, everyone. Of course. Different. And, and I, yeah. I was I was lucky in the sense that you know I had uh, an, an, you know a nice place to live, and you yeah. know I was in a happy relationship, and uh, I had my dog. You yeah. know, so so I, I had the ability to. Mm. My my pandemic, my COVID experience was very different to I know a lot of other people. So I know Mm. I was lucky in that fact. But I I will always remember that experience of, as I say, being sat on that tube train and suddenly being overcome with this overwhelming sense of fear and anxiety that forced me to put my mask on. And I thought about it subsequently. And all I can put that down to is that experience that that we had during the pandemic that made me think, oh, my God, this is bizarre. I'm in a crowded place Mm. with lots of people. I don't like this. I don't mm-hmm. feel comfortable, and I, I could almost feel myself sort of retracting into myself again in terms of my confidence and my, my ability. Um, because I think we all again had that where we hadn't sort of been around anyone apart from our immediate family and the people we lived mm-hmm. with for months. I almost forgot, in a way, how to be sociable, how yeah. to be okay with sitting next to someone on the tube. You know, it, mm. it was it was a bizarre feeling, but other other than that. Okay, I think I think I'm now at the point where I can deal with it, and I'm I'm not doing that anymore. I'm you know I'm I'm not being as wary as I was, but it's taken some time.
0: Mm. And and James, uh, how how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Um, Could I, was, I interrupt you? Uh, yeah. Just I know I just asked you, but I just I was hope, almost hoping you'd say that because I think that's the natural. I asked you both the same thing, and you both had exactly the same response. Mm. I'm good but then proceed to tell me what's yeah, wrong that's true and i think i think and i am very guilty i think everyone is guilty of it that the automatic reaction is i'm good i'm mm-hmm. fine mm-hmm. and i think probably the, the biggest thing for me when i like have a friend who says yeah i'm fine if i notice something's up press it. They, they might not want to talk about it and they don't have mm-hmm. to but it's just letting them know that you care and you want to know a bit more than yeah, yeah i'm good yeah because I remember, I mean, last year, and sorry, I know I'm interrupting you and, and going off on one here, but in my experience, I mean, for example, last year, I was going through one of the toughest periods of my life mentally. And if someone asked me how I was, I'd say, yeah, I'm great. Thanks. Mm. I'm fine. Um, and, and, and then that would be it. And, now, and so few people would then go, okay, you don't seem it. Or like, is yeah. that real? Are you really okay?
2: We, I think we all do it. And, you know, with three men sat around a table, I, I think men do that. Yeah, as well. it, and it, it it comes from a societal, almost a subconscious feeling of having to be this strong, stereotypical figure, mm. and perhaps not wanting to admit, mm. for want of a better term, when when you're not okay.
0: And it's also obviously a difficult and deep conversation to have. Mm. That when you're just you know, I understand small talk. You say how yeah yeah I'm fine whatever. I understand that, but certainly if you're close enough with someone to have that conversation, I think that's where probably. We need to find a yeah. way of moving past that just initial three words. Mm.
2: I think what Sean said about COVID really you know, that, that kind of resonates with my own experience because at the time me and my partner both worked for the same company. Right. Mm. Okay. And so the company had a policy where we just randomly one day shut up shop and everyone went to work from home. Mm. So we were kind of stuck in the house together for what should have been two weeks and ended up being three months. Mm. Yeah, But I don't know if other employers felt this, but it was all very sudden, the way it all locked down overnight. Mm -hmm. And so for the first sort of three or four weeks of the lockdown, it wasn't as if we had tons of work to do. We were just sat at home watching Tiger Mm -hmm. King or, you know, whatever whatever it was on on Netflix. (laughs) And I think I've always struggled with identifying within myself, am I an introverted or an extroverted character? Because I think those that know me would say that I am quite extroverted Mm.
1: extroverted, but actually I don't feel it
2: I've always felt more introverted Mm. and I think certainly when I was younger I was much more introverted and so going back to that sort of solace of being in the house yes I see
0: that little James with his backpack. yeah
2: (laughs) yeah but that's that's how I was going back to that solace of being sort of in the house on my own not on my own you know there's just the two of you there you live together you know each other really well um, it felt like an adventure at first, but as that turned into three, four, five weeks, it, it, cabin fever set in, anxiety yeah. set in, yeah. and actually, it got to a point where even the novelty of doing things over Zoom or Teams or whatever platform wore off, and I actually felt anxious about going on a video call. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Even though I wasn't in, you know, face to face with somebody,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah,
2: the anxiety of just having to speak to somebody outside mm-hmm. of the house was crazy and, th- and then when we did go back to work and we did go back in I, I, I was incredibly nervous and kind of like you said with the mask situation it, it almost washed over me mm. on the way into work this one day of oh my god I'm actually going to have to interact Walk with people, to people yeah. like properly talk to people and interact with people and that sort of introverted childhood part of me that had been there when I was younger mm. came back mm. that that nervousness about interacting with other people which You know, I don't know if it's something that I put a show on for previously to become more extroverted, or whether I just naturally developed into that character over time. But that completely disappeared over the course of COVID. I I, kind of went back to being this, oh, I don't really want to talk to anybody.
1: Because when I I look at you, James, and you know, you've got a a very high profile job. Hmm. You speak to a lot of people all the time. You do a lot of travelling. You meet a lot of different people. Then Masonically you're a deputy provincial grand director of ceremonies, mm. which again means you do His a lot of job is to speak to people. Yeah. Yeah. speaking to people, lots of visiting, meeting people. So I would have always yeah, had you down as being extroverted because I, I don't think you can do those things without being extroverted, but you've you've raised a really interesting point, which if that's not what you really are as an individual, imagine the emotional strain that you're putting on yourself by having to mm. sort of act differently to what your brain wants you to do that must be very tiring
2: i i heard somebody say um a while ago i, I don't know who it was that introverts find social interaction drains mm-hmm. their energy yeah. whereas extroverts find that social interaction increases their energy yeah, yeah. and i certainly come away from a social interaction feeling energized and great particularly if i've been to a masonic event yeah. um but there is always that little part of me which is like Okay, I've been here for four hours now. <laughs> not so much in ma- mason- yeah. not so much in masonry actually, no, b- because mean. that's a social thing. But if it's a work event and I've got to stand up and talk to two hundred people for three hours, I just get absolutely I, I, one. I just get so nervous, and two, mm. I'm wrecked at the end of it because it's a it's an emotional drain doing that.
0: Mm. So, I mean, well, to go back to my because I interrupted you to go back to my original question: How are you? Mm. Um, well, how are you? Um, You can say I'm good. It's okay. (laughs) I I feel very happy with
2: where I am at the moment. Um, But, you know, it would be a lie to say that I always feel amazing all of the time, Mm -hmm. whether it's work pressure, personal pressure, Mm -hmm. um, relationship pressures, whatever it may be. And for those listening, it could be something else. It could be financial pressure. Mm -hmm. There are always things which sit in the back of your mind all -hmm. of the time. And sometimes that means that you actually don't feel okay.
1: Yeah whatley how are you
0: thank you for asking um i would say probably my honest answer is i'm better i'm feeling better in myself lately um i went through a really long period of of putting so much pressure on myself and i think it stemmed quite a lot from from when i was younger so something i don't know uh, i'm sure a lot of people who know me will know and you guys might know but when i was younger I was in uh, the press a lot back home in Gibraltar um, because of uh, because of chess mainly um, because I was a local chess champion then ended up winning British championships and representing the UK in world championships and things and that meant that I mean so for example in back in 2013 when I was I think 13 14 years old I won the Gibraltar junior sports personality of the year and that meant that I went on TV in front of like thousands of people and gave an acceptance speech at 13, 14. That's a lot. And, yeah. and, and so that, and that's not pressure anyone's put on me at all. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think because of that, I've always had this internal, okay, I need to be doing this now, and I need to be doing that. And finding a way to be happy through adversity when mm-hmm. I can't be doing all of that has been certainly a journey for me, I think. And when I had... Again, as a few people will know who know me, when I had my head injury uh, now five years ago, um, that was a massive change in my life when all of a sudden I was this sort of stereotypically seen as this high flyer who would really go for this, that, and certainly as a young guy I was really enthusiastic, wanted to beat that record and Mm. do this and do that. And then all of a sudden I had a head injury and I couldn't do any of it. I couldn't even stand there and talk to someone for five minutes because it was too much for me. And that, that change was really tough emotionally. And even five years later, I think in some ways I still compensate for that because I'd, I lost a chunk of my life where I couldn't do anything. Mm. In a similar way, somewhat, to how everyone lost, including myself, lost a chunk of their lives to COVID in some capacity where they couldn't do this and they couldn't do that. Just before COVID, I had a head injury. And just when I was starting to recover and get back out to being able to go to social events and talk to people and I suddenly COVID hit. And so Mm. for me, it was like a really prolonged COVID and slightly worse because it was in all honesty, very scary to me that when I've gone from speaking to thousands of people on stage to talking to someone and getting halfway through a conversation and suddenly that's how long I would stop talking for when I just stopped there because I couldn't find a word.
1: Mm. Mm, that is scary.
0: And that was five seconds that you just, I mean, you guys saw, listeners won't see that. I just counted on my hand, five seconds. And yet that to me feels, and I'm sure to you guys, feels like an eternity. Yeah. And to me not being, able to, not being able to find the word, even if it's a really simple word like microphone, this thing in front of me, Right. If I just can't find the word, there's no other word for that. No. I can't think of another word for microphone, and that was embarrassing for me. Yeah. It was made me anxious in social settings, and so I guess what I'm getting at is that this period for me has been very difficult because I've I've had to go through that journey of changing mm. who I am essentially. Mm. Um, and I gave, uh, I guess, a, a plug to myself, but purely because I think this is quite a, an in, a hope and interesting to people. I gave a, a some form of like TEDx talk on, on this exact topic um, uh, called Jib Talks. I think I saw that, um, actually. Yeah, oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Very good, um, very good. You were the thank one. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. was, the, was he was me. the one viewer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just uh, yeah, and it's, it's on YouTube, so if anyone wants to look at it, just my name and Jib Talks will, will do. Um But essentially to talk about this, I gave this interesting analogy, which I think is quite relatable to what we're talking about. And you can agree or disagree. Um, But I called myself before the accident, Stephen 1.0. And during the accident, sort of in that initial period of recovery, Stephen 2.0. And me now, Stephen 3.0. And I think that's quite transferable across the COVID situation. That you are a new person because of an event. Mm. And every day new things happen to us. And that's really, you know, that can change us. Um, and as a as a chess player, uh, a very a thing I often I teach chess as well, and a thing I often tell my students is: however small, however simple, every move changes the whole mm. position. Yeah. And in some ways, that imitates life. Every small thing that happens every day changes us in some small way, mm. and so. Coming for me, that journey has been coming to accept that yeah. that I am a different person to who I was, and that's okay, and that doesn't make me any less of me.
2: Mm. Uh, an, an old manager of mine, actually, a number of years ago, said to me that it's very often not the big things that make an impact; mm. it's the accumulation of the very small things over a period of time yeah. that adds up to make the difference. Mm. I
1: can I can fully agree with that on the basis that I think my for me I I, rem- I remember what it was like not to really think about mental health
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I think everybody has that moment sort of before they're aware of their mental health and then after they're aware of it you know yeah. post and pre and post awareness of their mental health and I guess I was I was lucky when I was growing up in the sense that I had quite a uh, quite a sort of um, an easygoing childhood really you know mm-hmm. I'd, and there was a naivety to it a quite sort of protected yeah, a bubble almost yeah, yeah very much so yeah which is not l- a bad thing. my little yeah. world and 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 it was it was great and then when i came to going to university i was really happy in my bubble mm. really happy in my bubble and the thought of having to leave my bubble to go somewhere else i mean i grew up in southeast london so my university royal holloway was in Egham, which is in you know basically in surrey it's around the m25 about an hour's drive but it felt like i was having to sort of exercise myself you know out of this bubble to and force myself to to move away from where I, this sort of happy place that i was and mm. that i had been and again i didn't give it i didn't give it due attention at the time but that definitely had an accumulative effect mm. on my mental health and then i i remember vividly the moment when i became aware of my mental health and it it was it was without a doubt Scariest experience I've ever had. In that, I remember I'd been out with some friends. We, we friends from home. We, we have a, an annual tradition. We go out for a curry just before okay, Christmas. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> um, we go out for a curry just before Christmas, and we'd done that, and we'd done it for years. And I remember I got home that night, got into bed as usual. I wasn't drinking at this point. Um, got into bed, and then I remember I woke up at about five in the morning. And the only way I can describe it, it it felt like every single muscle in my body was tense, mm. every single one from head to toe, mm. and accompanying that was an absolute inability to catch my breath it was it was like I was hyperventilating, I was sweating i at the same time I could feel my legs shaking now, if you imagine you've never had that experience before you, you it, it you wake up in the middle of the night and and you're experiencing that i thought i was having a heart attack i thought i was having a fit i had no idea what it was and it finally i finally managed to 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 take control of my breathing i managed to calm myself down my legs were shaking for a good two hours afterwards i couldn't get back to sleep and from that moment on it was like a switch from that moment on i knew what that had been it it, had been a panic attack yeah. And it was without a doubt the scariest thing that I'd ever experienced in my life. And it was one of then many that I went on to have over the next, mm. God, 10 years or so. But it was absolutely horrendous. And, and it's a, you know, people have described panic attacks as you feel like you're dying. And that's exactly how it was. Obviously, you know, you can't say for sure what it's like to die. But if I had to have described it, it, it was that feeling of completely losing control of your entire yeah. body and from that point on really it was it was something in my life that i that i had to deal with and it, even to this day that i have to regulate and luckily thankfully I, you know it's 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 a lot easier now you know i've been able to through through various means to control that anxiety but but when i look back at it it was 100 james an accumulation Mm. of a number of different things mm. over time that I didn't realise. The way it was described to me by a therapist was, if you imagine you have a jug of water or an empty jug and you keep filling it with water, you keep going, you keep going, and in the end, it's, it's going to overflow. Mm. And that's what happened to me. My jug overflows mm. and I couldn't control it anymore.
0: I think a slightly, I mean, I after my head injury, I had... Um, Uh, a neuropsychologist, I was under the care of a neuropsychologist um, for somewhat therapy and also more cognitive sort of uh, rehabilitation. Mm. And an interesting, you say about a jug overflowing, I was given sort of an opposite, but equal uh, analogy Mm. of that. It's like a, an oxygen tank that, or or a fuel tank or whatever, that if you let the, if you let the, the tank just keep going and don't replenish at any point, you don't take a break. Mm. Once it hits the bottom, it will take a hell of a long time yeah. for you to get it back up again. Mm. Whereas if you take it and say, 50% and give yourself a weekend away or give yourself just an evening of not doing things, yeah. then that might go back up to 60%. Mm. Whereas if you get all the way to zero, it's going to take you months, potentially, yeah. because that burnout, and that I think that's something i not necessarily diagnosed with, but I experience, I'm i sure I experience burnout mm. far too often yeah. because I push myself really hard and that really is my own drive that i push myself yeah hmm. and it's i mean i went when with my degree in fact i had and still have to some extent uh, and have more recently had this horrible horrible feeling just thinking about work yeah and I, it got to the point and i noticed it this year because last year i had to take a year out because i was unwell huh. yeah and it got to it got to this year and I was... So I had to take a year out because I was physically unwell, but also that was affa- affecting my mental health. Of course. Yeah. And, and, it, and it was this cycle. And it got to this year, and I went to look at the, some of the same stuff, and I was in the same position for some of my work, and I just suddenly felt like I need to go to the bathroom and throw up. Yeah. I just, like, physically, I could not sit there and look at my work without feeling physically sick. Yeah. Mm. So that's what, what I say when I say I'm better is I, I've lately not been feeling like that but until really recently I think my answer to your question of how are you would have been Mm. I'm if I was being honest is I'm not okay yeah and and I for so long I didn't say that to anyone I didn't say I'm not okay
1: Why, why, why do you why do you think that was Stephen why do you think it was that you didn't feel like you could you could tell someone that
0: yeah I think that's a really good question I guess partly because I felt like it was no one else's job to fix it it was no it was my issue that i needed to f- deal with and that no one could really help me so i guess it was su- some somewhat a what's the point because no one can help mm. partly a no one cares i, I which if you or say you in f- the cold light of day is silly i know that people can you felt like nobody would but th- care that i felt like the the details of it. Like I might say, I'm not okay. And you, you know, like here and you put one arm around me and go, it's all right. But to be able to dig in and work out what's wrong, does anyone really care enough about that to fix the problem?
2: There's a phrase that I love and I use it at work all the time. I don't know if you've ever heard it. It's called um, perception is reality. And I think in that situation, mm. you, you probably know in your heart that the people around you do care about you and, yeah. and would want to know, but if your perception is that they're not going to care that becomes your reality yeah. of they don't care about it mm. and that may make it more difficult to uh, talk about
1: uh, uh, yeah, and you, and you know in addition to that I, I think my concern with it was because i didn't i didn't talk to anyone about my experience mm. for for weeks i i just i just didn't because I, my my fear was it wasn't that people wouldn't care it was that people wouldn't understand yeah and yeah. They, at that point i mean and I say that, I mean, we're talking 10 years ago, but actually the the world has changed so irrevocably in a good way towards better understanding of mental health in that 10 years that actually it feels like it was a different place then and there was still, and there still is, I'm not saying there isn't anymore, so much stigma attached to this thing. And for me it was like, oh my God, you know, if I talk to people about what I've experienced... Will they think less of me? Mm. Will there be some sort of judgments around? Oh God, you know he's he's got issues. Send him off somewhere, or,
0: or I can't give him that responsibility, or I can't yeah. rely on him to do this or, or that.
1: Exactly that, exactly yeah. that. And the other part was I didn't want to worry people. Mm. I didn't want to worry worry my mum. I didn't want to worry my family yeah, exactly. because I was I was so worried that they wouldn't understand what it was <gasps> and they'd assume the worst. And mm. and and little did I know. And what I wish so much that I could. If there's such thing as a time machine, I wish I could go back 10 years and meet 2013 Sean yeah. Butler and say to him, it's okay. Yeah. This is normal. Mm. This and is And it's all going to be okay. And it's, it's all going to be, be okay. okay and it's an illness. It yeah. it's, it's 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 something that can be dealt with. It's something that you can beat. You are not
0: trapped by this mm. thing. And and this too shall pass, as they say. This too yeah. shall
1: pass, exactly.
2: For me and where I find it difficult sometimes is it's about pride and i'll give you an example of what i mean by that i i several years ago i was in quite a high pressure job we were coming up to a really big moment in my company sort of an annual event that happens every year that it's all hands on deck it's the most important few days of the year and i had a bereavement my 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 grandmother died and and that was you know a very difficult moment as you Mm. can imagine but I didn't cry. I didn't really have any emotional response to the fact that this woman that I was incredibly close to had passed away because all I could think about was the pride of, I have to be seen to get on with it. I have to be seen to be the leader for my team. I have to be seen to be able to brush my emotions to one side Mm. and to do what is required. Mm. And it was only months later that I actually found myself at home I broke down and I didn't know why I couldn't work out why I just had this huge outpouring Mm. of emotion and I couldn't stop crying and I didn't understand why I felt the way I did and it was only a few months after that that I kind of thought well actually I I hadn't had the opportunity to go through the the emotions Mm. I should have done because I allowed my pride to get in the way of what should have been a perfectly normal way of feeling.
0: Yeah Um, and one of the sort of reasons I really wanted to have this chat specifically on here is because i think there's a small well i I don't want to attribute a size to it there's a problem somewhat in society that freemasonry is not excluded from in that you know we have lodge members that we are friends with and we'd call them our brothers and yet how well do we really know Hmm. how they are when we say how are you and they say i'm good and I know in my, you know, in, in lodges that I'm a member of, whether they be, um, you know, side degrees or my craft, uh, you know, mother lodge, etc. I'll see them however so often and I'll say, how are you? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, Stephen. How are you? Good to see you, blah, blah, blah. And that's it. And then we're going to have a drink and we go to the meeting. We have a festive board where we talk about some interesting topics, but mm-hmm. really getting into the nitty gritty of how someone is, I feel like, and it's not necessarily something I can offer a solution to precisely, Mm. but certainly I wanted this, you know, hopefully this podcast is listened to by enough people that if just one person listening asks their brother next time they go to a lodge meeting, how are you really? Then for me, sorry, I'm (laughs) getting all emotional. For me, that's really, like, this is worth Mm -hmm. it. We could spend hours in here. And for me... If someone says that as a result of this, then this was worth it. And this being on CraftCast craft at all was worth it for that yeah, alone. Absolutely. And so I'd like anyone listening, whether you're a Freemason or not, in fact, but particularly for you guys in, that are going to your next lodge meeting, be it tonight when you're listening or tomorrow or next month, next time you go, make a point, please, of finding one person and finding out how they really are yeah that that for me if you could do that i would be a personal favor call it i would be really i would really appreciate that
1: yeah now coincidentally this week when you're listening to this is mental health awareness week here in the uk and it's not it we always wanted to do this episode didn't we chaps this was always yeah. an important yeah. discussion it just happens to be that it's that it's landed this way but it it is incredibly important and again something i wish that i could say to to past me is that there is support available. I mean, I was lucky enough that I was, I, I, I made the decision to, to seek that help out, and I know that doesn't always happen. So generally, in terms of support, the Masonic Charitable Foundation have a helpline that you can call. They're there mm-hmm. for Freemasons and families. Uh, if you want support, if you need to talk to someone, give them a call, pick up the phone, and please take that step because it's such a monumental moment in your life mm-hmm. when, when, when it dawns on you that this thing isn't all-encompassing of your life. It doesn't have to be. There's yeah. a path out of it. There's a way through that horrible, dark, murky forest which it feels like you're trapped in when you're going through these, yeah. these horrible experiences. And reaching out and helping to find the path out of that forest is amazing. And it's mm-hmm. it's eye opening, and as I say, the Masonic Charity Foundation give them a call. They have a great page section on their website that you can look into. If you're not a Freemason, um, first of all, why are you not a Freemason? That's the first <laughs> question. The second question: there's so many charities that you can reach out to. Mind, more in important the UK. question, <laughs> yeah. Mind <laughs> the Samaritans. You know, there's so many organisations that are out there to help you get through this.
0: Mm-hmm. And I would just like to return to that. I, myself, when I think of, let's say, my mother lodge, for example, I would say, if you ask me how how they are as a general population, I'd say, yeah, they're great. Mm -hmm. And yet, if I also ask myself, have I ever met a guy who I've spoken to about mental health and they've not had their own experiences? Mm -hmm. And so I can almost guarantee that if you speak to someone, they will be able to talk to you about it. And that feeling is freeing somewhat, even just saying. I think there's no way of measuring how much that can help someone Mm -hmm. by just sitting there and having a chat.
2: Guys, thank you so much for this amazing conversation. I think it's been really good to talk about this. Um, As Sean says, we were going to do this anyway. It's just coincidental that it's fallen um, in in Mental Health Awareness Week. For all of those listening, don't forget to email us, podcasts at ugle.org.uk. You can tweet us at United Grand Lodge of England, ugle underscore grand lodge on Instagram. And you can find us on Facebook as well. And we will be giving you some contact information for some of those charities and the MCF that we spoke about earlier um, after the credits at the end of the show. So stick around for that if you find that would be helpful.
0: Uh, And just before we sign off, I'd just like to say, I hope that anyone listening has got to know us a little better. Mm. Um, And I hope that we achieved, I don't know what it's like having listened back to it obviously yet. Uh, I just, I hope that we've, Achieved our goal of sitting here as three guys and having a chat about what's important to us in men's mental health, and thank you to guys in particular for being brave and because it is, frankly, for being brave and having a chat honestly with me and everyone listening. So, thank you and goodbye from me.
1: Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Craftcast, the Freemasons podcast. The podcast is hosted by Sean Butler, Stephen Watley, and James Dalton. The producer is Marta Zandri, and the podcast is edited by Trisonic. If you
2: or anyone you know has been affected by any of the themes raised in this episode of Craftcast, you can contact the Masonic Charitable Foundation on 0800 035 1690 or email help at mcf.org.uk. You can also contact MIND at 0300 123 3393 or visit mind.org.uk. Samaritans are available on 116 123 and you can text SHOUT to 85258.